إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا وسيئات أعمالنا من يهديه الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم mentioned in a hadith من يريد الله به خيرا يفقهه في الدين Whomsoever Allah wants goodness for when Allah gives him knowledge and understanding of the religion in another narration, من سلك طريقا يلتمس فيه علما سهل الله له به طريقا إلى الجنة that whomsoever treads upon a pathway seeking by it knowledge then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make his pathway to paradise easy because of it in the ayah in the Quran Allah mentioned هَلْ يَسْتَوِ الَّذِينَ يَعْلَمُونَ وَالَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ can they be equal are they equal the ones who know and the ones who do not the ones who have knowledge of their religion and the ones who do not. All of these evidences indicate the importance of learning our religion, the importance of studying, the importance of knowing the rulings of Islam. And so tonight, inshallah ta'ala, as we mentioned, we're going to leave it open as a Q&A for whatever we are able to do and to answer. If sisters want to send their questions forward, they can do so on pieces of paper. So if anybody has any questions, firstly, Ramadan related if anybody has. And then afterwards at the end, if there are non-Ramadan related ones, then we can come to those inshaAllah ta'ala. So if anybody has any question now, you're welcome to ask anything regarding Ramadan, the rulings of Ramadan, fasting, the different rulings of fasting. If there is any issue, traveling, illnesses, various things that people always talk about every year in Ramadan, then you're welcome to ask now. Raise your hand and you can ask. So the moon sighting then The question is if the moon cannot be sighted Then what is the next thing that can be done We know Islamically that for Ramadan to begin There are only two possible ways When Ramadan begins It's only ever going to begin in one of two possible ways Either the new moon is going to be sighted and when the new moon is sighted it means the next day is going to be Ramadan. But if the new moon is not sighted then in that case the hadith in Al-Bukhari and in Muslim it mentions That is the version of Al-Bukhari. 
complete Sha'aban as 30 days in that case. To make this clear, think about this example. Now we're in Ramadan. The month before Ramadan is the month of Sha'aban. In that month, on the 29th day of Sha'aban, the Muslims are going to go out as they did to look for the new moon. Why would they go out on the 29th of the last month? Because Islamically a month is only ever going to be either 29 days or 30 days. Because Islamic months are based upon the moon. So they're only ever going to be 29 days or 30 days. So last month after 29 days, then the Muslims would have gone out to look for the new moon in case that month ended up as just 29 days. And then the moon came out. So the next day would be Ramadan. So imagine they go out on the 29th day and they look for the moon and they see it. So now it's simple. The next day is going to be Ramadan. If they go out on the 29th day and it's a clear night, clear as can be, and they look and they search, but they don't see a thing. So they know for sure the moon was not there. Clear as can be and there was no moon anywhere. So now, easy again. The next day is going to carry on as the 30th of Sha'aban and Ramadan will be the day after that, so far simple in the first two scenarios. There is one more scenario. On the 29th of Sha'aban, the Muslims go out looking for the moon, but the 29th happens to be a day that is full with cloud cover. Rain and fog and mist. And so when they go and look for the moon, they can't tell. Because the skies are too covered up. So was the new moon there or was it not there? We don't know. Maybe it was there, maybe it wasn't. It was all covered up. In the first two scenarios, there was no problem. In the first scenario, they saw it. Done. In the second scenario, it was clear as can be and it wasn't anywhere. So they were sure it's not there. Done. In this scenario, it's covered up, it's cloudy, it's foggy, so they don't know. They can't tell. Is the moon out there somewhere or is it not? That's where the hadith in Al-Bukhari, a Muslim, tells you, in that case, leave the next day as 30th of Sha'aban still. Don't say, well, maybe the moon was there, let's just start just to be safe. You don't do that. Hadith in Bukhari and Muslim tells you, the Sunnah tells you, if that happens, then don't start Ramadan, leave the next day as the 30th of Sha'ban. That's a Hadith. So in that scenario, you leave the next day as the 30th of Sha'ban, and then the day after will be 1st of Ramadan. And it's as simple as that. If you follow that guideline of the Sunnah, there is no confusion. You go out on the 29th and you see the moon, done. Next day is Ramadan. You go out on the 29th and it's a clear night and definitely no moon anywhere. Done. The next day will still be Sha'aban yet and the day after will be Ramadan. 
You go out on the 29th and it's covered up and you can't tell. Hadith tells you in that case, leave the next day as 30th of Sha'ban and the day after the 1st of Ramadan. And that is it. Hmm. The sighting of the moon, is it in your own country or is it in any country of the world? Meaning imagine there's a Muslim country somewhere in the world that sees the new moon on the 29th. Should we begin Ramadan the next day too or should we say but we're checking here in the UK or wherever you live and we couldn't see anything tonight or it was cloudy tonight so we're going to have to follow the hadith and leave tomorrow as 30th of Sha'ban. Is that what you do? Or do you say but there's a Muslim country or several other Muslim countries they've sighted it. So we should just do it with them as well and start. The moon has been sighted somewhere. There is two opinions about that issue. Some of the scholars they say basically that you follow the international moon sighting. Any country, any Muslim, any Muslim testimony, Muslim country witnesses the moon anywhere and they make the announcement, then the whole world, wherever you live, wherever you might be, then you follow that sighting and you begin your Ramadan also. So that is the reason why many Muslims, they just follow the sighting of Saudi Arabia. When the the sighting occurs there, then many Muslim countries across the world just begin off that sighting. That is completely permissible. And that is the opinion of many scholars. When a sighting happens and the announcement is made, the other countries can follow that too. The other opinion though, the second opinion is that you can do your own sighting in your area. In your area of the world, in your country and the surrounding neighboring countries, your region, you can do your own sighting. And so if you sight it on the 29th in that area, your country or your neighboring countries, then okay, begin. If you or your neighboring countries don't sight it on the 29th, but some other Muslim country on the other side of the world did, you don't necessarily have to follow that. It is an opinion of some scholars. And that's why, for example, they were mentioning just the other day in the Caribbean. In the Caribbean, a long way away from even the UK, let alone the Middle East and the Muslim countries of that area, let alone Saudi Arabia. So they were mentioning that over there, they do their own moon sighting. That all of those Caribbean countries, they look in that area, the Muslims, and they search for the moon, and when they see it, they begin. And if they don't see it, they leave the next day as Sha'ban. Even if Saudi Arabia or other Muslim countries in the eastern part of the world have sighted it. They do their own sighting when they see it, they begin. And that is completely permissible. Fast when you see it, and then end the fasting, end Ramadan and do Eid when you see it. So you can do your own sighting, that is an opinion in your country, in your region, as the Muslims of the Caribbean have been told do, in that far western area. But if you take the opinion also, that you can take any international Muslim sighting, that is correct also. But in your country, in your region, 
if it is overwhelmingly done in a particular way, then the scholars do advise stick with that. So imagine now, and in fact this was the issue that came up in the Caribbean areas, all of the Muslims in those areas basically do their sighting there. So some of the Muslims were asking, can we not just stick with the sighting of Saudi Arabia, for example, their announcement and that's it. But in that case, the advice to them would be if all of the Caribbean and all of the Muslims in that area are sighting themselves, then it doesn't make sense for you to end up a small minority on a different day and all of the rest of the Muslims of the Caribbean are basing it upon the sighting which is completely correct to do so, then in that case, stay with them and do the sighting and go off that sighting. So that is the advice of the scholars on that topic. Anything else? Three, that's... uh, The Ramadan one, the Zakat one, maybe later. Ramadan one. Missing fasting because you're in examinations, GCSE exams, higher exams than that, whatever types of exams it might be, that is not in of itself a legitimate reason to miss fasting. In of itself, it is not a legitimate reason to miss fasting. And that is what, if I'm not mistaken, a Sheikh Al-Uthaymeen who said that when he was asked about exams. Examinations, you will not be impacted by fasting. If you look at the the benefits of fasting, and you look at what the scholars of the past used to do, they used to fast to improve their ability mentally and with knowledge. They used to fast to improve the sharpness of their minds. So now... The fasting is not something that will typically or necessarily have an impact upon your examinations. So it is not a legitimate reason in of itself to do that. And do not think that it's going to harm my results and it's going to do this, it's going to do that. You are in an act of worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Seek aid and assistance from Allah. And Allah loves that you are in this act of worship. And Allah, inshallah ta'ala, you make dua, will aid you in your exams and the performance in your exams and the results of your exams. That you're doing these exams and you're performing this worship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So exams in of themselves are not a legitimate reason to miss fasting. If somebody comes late and they've missed the Isha prayer and so Taraweeh has already started, somebody comes late, they've missed Isha, Taraweeh has already started. So when they come and join in, they have to join in with the intention of Isha prayer first. Their intention is going to be Isha prayer. Obviously after two raka'at, the Imam is going to give salam and finish. 
You've made an intention for Isha, which means you're not going to give the salam. You're going to get up and finish off two more raka'at. Even if the imam then gets up and starts the next two raka'at of taraweeh, you have to get up and finish your two raka'at of Isha, and then join in with the imam straight after that into the taraweeh. Same with witr. If you get here so late, something happened, and the imam is on the witr, same thing, you would come in, make the intention of Isha. Pray your Isha. The Imam after two raka'at is going to give the salam. You don't. You get up and you carry on and you finish your Isha. So if you come in late and they're praying taraweeh, join with the intention of Isha. How many raka'at you've read? What do you mean? No, I don't understand. Because if you come in late and they're in the taraweeh already. No, but when you come in, your intention is going to be Isha first anyway. When you join, you're not making any intention for taraweeh. Your intention is going to be Isha when you come and join in. If you've missed Isha prayer, and you know you've missed Isha prayer, because like now we know Isha is 10.45 uh, these days. If you come in at 11 o'clock or 5 past 11 and they're praying, you know they're on taraweeh now. They're not praying Isha at 5 past 11 or 10 past 11. So you're going to come and join with the intention of Isha. After two raka'at, he's going to sit down and give salam because they're praying taraweeh now. You're going to get up and carry on and finish your other two raka'at. And then, then after that, you're going to join in taraweeh. Yeah, but you, when you join in with the imam, when he finishes at the end, you know how many you've prayed now. Because, look, look at this. When you come in now, imagine you come in when the imam is on his first taraweeh. You've just missed Isha, you got here at 11 o'clock, 5 past 11, and he's just started the first taraweeh. So you join in there. No, let's, let's look. follow the example. You join in there. So after two, the imam is going to give salam. You're going to get up and pray, finish your isha. So now after that, you're going to join in with the imam. After you finish your isha, you're going to carry on, join in with the imam. He's going to be on his next set of taraweeh now. He's going to be on the next set. You're finishing your isha, he's going to get up and start his next set. So when you finish your isha, you join into that next set. Let's say you catch all of the next set. For example, in this scenario, you catch the next set. After that, you catch the next set. After that, you catch the next set. You've caught six so far. Then the imam is going to do his three witr. So now, you know you prayed how many taraweeh? Six. But you're trying to say, maybe you want to pray your eight before you get to witr or what? Well, you just pray whatever's left. You pray whatever is left. No, I don't, how do you lose count? You you join in with the imam and you pray whatever's left. Maybe there's just two left. So you pray the two that's left. Yeah, 
Yeah, but you don't make the intention for your first taraweeh when you join. You'll have to explain afterwards, inshallah. Alright. Go on. Brother is selling cars. He's got two in his front garden. Bradford selling cars, that's how it's done, huh? He's got two in his front garden he's gonna sell. Listed as a trader. So now, uh, what's the zakat situation on those cars? Is it gonna be the, what do you say, the market value or? Uh huh. Uh, normally in that kind of scenario it wouldn't be based upon what the market value is because that's an undefined amount you might get a good value for it you might not the only defined amount the, the actual amount you know is what you paid for it you can't assume what you're gonna get for it you may get well over that market value you may get well below that market value so you wouldn't be able to work it out based upon an assumption of what the item is worth it has a market value but you're gonna achieve that or not is unknown that's an unknown so i don't think you can base zakat upon an assumption of what it may achieve or what you may gain from it allah alam. well that's the other thing the uh, with the with the uh, the property like that of cars does it even come into the same scenario as what's mentioned in the hadith about the crops and various other types of things it's an item which is prepared for business purposes you have that car it's an asset which is there for a, a business purpose for an investment purpose but uh, Allah alam what the comparison would be mm. the other one So now you've lent somebody some money. You've lent somebody some money. They've borrowed it from you. Let's say, for example, 20,000 pounds. So now zakat time comes for you to pay your zakat. Do you have to pay it on the money you've got right now plus that 20,000 you've given to the guy? You keep that in your calculations or do you exclude that 20,000 from your calculations when giving the zakat this year? What's the fatwa? Excluded. The scholars, they say there are two scenarios here, two overall scenarios. The person you've given the 20,000 to, if he's able to give it back to you, he's able to give it back to you, then you have to include it in your figures even if he hasn't given it back to you yet. Meaning, I've lent somebody 20,000 and now my zakat is due that brother he's got the money available and ready we just haven't got around to taking care of things bank details getting it back to myself the logistics we haven't worked it out to get the money back but he's ready with it he's told me anytime now i can take care of it when you want it it's there we just haven't got around to sorting the logistics out and getting it maybe he's out of the country maybe something's going on we haven't been able to arrange to get the money back 
but it's there. I have access to it when I want it. In that case, even if I haven't got it back yet, that person's taken the loan and still has my loan, has my 20,000 with him. I have access to it at any time now. In that case, I have to give the zakat on it. But in the second scenario, you've given 20,000 to this person. He has no ability to give it back to you right now. Or he is delaying giving it back to you. So you right now do not have access to that money. In that case, you don't have to give zakat on it yet. When you do get access to it, then there's a difference between the scholars of do you start fresh with that money then? 20,000 eventually comes back to you then. Do you wait for a year to go on to that 20,000 before initially giving the zakat? Or do you instantly give one zakat on it when you receive it? That's a difference. But here are the two scenarios. Do you have access to it or not? If you have access to it, you could get it back. Then you pay the zakat on that amount too, even if you haven't got it back yet. If you don't have access to it, then you don't have to give zakat on that until you get it back. In that case, if you have a property and you're renting it out, now you've got the, the capital, the actual property value. You've bought this property and it's worth £50,000 right now. You've got that there. Then on top of that, you're earning this rental income on it on a monthly basis, on an annual basis. What's the figure you have to put into your zakat? Right now, you've got this house worth £50,000. You could sell that now and get yourself 50,000 pounds. Do you put that into your figures then? Or do you put just the rental money you're getting from that house? In that case, just the rental money. It's just the rental money you are gaining from it. That profit you are making, that rental money goes into your figures for the zakat, not the value of the asset. That's minus because that's gone. You give zakat upon money that you have. If money's gone, it's gone. You don't pay zakat on money which is gone. You've gone and spent uh, a few thousand fixing this, that, the other. That money, you don't have it anymore. It's gone. There's no zakat on that money now. What you have, what is there, the year has passed on it, and the zakat is due on it. If it remains empty, then it's just the same kind of issue as that there. Normally, when you have an asset which is there for the purpose of business, an asset that is there for the purpose of business, then you typically have zakat due on it. But I'm not sure, Allahu alam, if it is due on properties that you own, or even in that same type of scenario in a car that is owned if these come into the same rulings as uh, the in the ahadith about the various crops and things that you have prepared for assets to sell, I'm not sure if that comes under the same ruling. We can have a look into that, inshallah, in one of the future night reminders. We'll come back with those types of uh, fatawa, etc., inshallah. Anything else?
To recite as much Qur'an as possible in the month of Ramadan is certainly encouraged. In the Taraweeh prayer, to get through uh, uh, a large amount of Qur'an with the proper recitation and everything, then yes, it is encouraged. That is something good. Al-Imam al-Bukhari, Al-Imam al-Bukhari, he used to lead the Taraweeh prayer. How many nights did it used to take him to finish the Qur'an? Three nights. Al-Imam al-Bukhari used to lead the Taraweeh prayer. Al-Imam al-Bukhari, Sahih al-Bukhari. And he used to finish the Qur'an every three nights. So the people who prayed behind him in Ramadan, the Taraweeh, at the end of Ramadan, they finished the Qur'an ten times. Every three nights, every night, ten juz. Ten juz every night. So to read as much Qur'an as possible with the proper recitation intact, then that is encouraged and it is good, no doubt. So the fact that you have mosques wanting to finish the Qur'an, you can't criticize that in of itself. It is good to try and recite as much as possible, to get through as much as possible, to finish the Qur'an, finish it more than once. That is good. Trying to finish it on a particular night and timing it to do so, that isn't something specified in the sunnah. Many mosques, they want to time it, recite certain amounts so that they finish on the 27th night, then they can have an event and all these things. That isn't legislated to do that. But you strive to recite as much as possible. That is good. That is definitely good to finish as much of the Qur'an as possible. What is the status of a person's iman who sins and repents? Sins and repents. A person who continues to sin but repents but then continues and falls back into sin. The question says what is the status of that person's iman? Then in relation to that, the iman is obviously going to have some deficiency and weakness in it. For a person to continue to return back to sinning, then it indicates a weakness in iman. But that does not mean that a person abandons repentance. You repent, you seek forgiveness and strive and ask Allah for aid and assistance to help you to stay away from those sins. Preserve your prayer five times a day properly. Guard over it. That is from the means of helping you to stay away from sinning. Recognize the one that you are sinning against. Don't look at the smallness of how little this sin is. Think about who you are sinning against. Think about paradise. Think about hell. Think about all of these affairs. And inshallah ta'ala perhaps that person will be able to leave those sins. Now in particular in Ramadan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it easier for the servants to repent, easier for the servants to seek forgiveness and to remain firm upon that in staying away from those sins. Shayateen, the shaitan, has less ability over the believers in this month. So it is an opportunity to repent and to abandon those sins. The last one we'll do then so we don't go on too late. How does a woman maintain good manners and uphold etiquette during times when she is pregnant and or menstruating wherein her homo 
her hormones cause her to be irritable or moody. These types of situations when a woman is in some difficulty of pregnancy or in the time of the period to maintain the good etiquettes and manners you look at the examples of like we were saying a few days ago you look at the examples of the female companions of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam you look at the example of aisha radiyallahu anha the example of khadija radiyallahu anha the types of women they were and tried to be like them you look at the example of patience we were talking about the other day try to implement that patience knowing that this is the way that Allah has decreed for the women that they are pregnant and they are upon periods this is the way that Allah has decreed with wisdom so you recognize what is occurring to you occurred to the great women of the past what is occurring to you occurred to the female companions of the prophet so it is not something new that is occurring now with hormones or whatever else women passed throughout the centuries from the times of the salaf with the same situations so you try to emulate and be like what they were and demonstrate patience in those times but on top of that it's not just about the women it is also about the men to recognize and to understand that the woman when she's in that time in the pregnancy in the time of the period in other times like that that the situation for her may be a bit different and a bit difficult compared to normal times and for the man to have a degree of patience greater than normal and for the man to understand that situation and to help around the house as a Shaykh Al-Athameen said as an example for the man to help around the house and to do jobs as a Shaykh Al-Athameen he said for the man to recognize this and to be in good behavior towards his spouse and to participate and do things and not expect his pregnant wife to go and do all the chores and cleaning and this and that and everything so a person from the man's side too needs to have that degree of patience and to recognize this situation in the hadith it is mentioned when the prophet said that i've not seen anybody deficient in the intellect or religion than one of you i.e the women deficiency in religion i.e in iman at the time of the periods that is in the hadith so no doubt the women may feel somewhat low in iman at that time even and they're not allowed to pray at that time they don't fast at that time so a man needs to recognize that situation too and have that patience in that situation too so we'll round off on those for tonight then and uh, inshallah ta'ala tomorrow evening as you're aware there is the community iftar beginning with the lectures at approximately 7 30 p.m with Abu Iyad first first lecture at approximately 7.30 with Abu Iyad so try and make sure that you come early before iftar so you can attend those lectures gain benefit from those lectures and then afterwards stay for the community iftar inshallah ta'ala so we'll conclude upon that for tonight